Good morning. We've been dealing with the idea of hearing from God, because the basis of this study has to do with being able to hear God. And one of the areas that have been totally forgotten is the idea that a vision or a dream or perhaps a, a, a revelation from God to a trance or being caught up in the spirit. And we yesterday uh, dealt with Mark 5.42. I don't know if you can find that, uh, Matt. Mike, Mark 5.42. And the parents of this little girl were in a state of astonishment. Meaning that as God does something uh, mighty and blessed and a time, read that, it has to do uh, with little Tabita, mm -hmm. Talita Kum, little girl, get up. Yes. And straightway the girl arose and walked, for she was of the age of 12 years, and they were astonished with a great astonishment. Yeah, they, they were astonished with greater astonishment. Greater, they were astonished with greater astonishment. What does that, what is the translator trying to, to, to say that? They were caught in the spirit. They were overwhelmed beyond their senses. And, uh, and this, you're going to find that in the scriptures. And, and, and listen, when you have your daughter, daughter's wedding, and she passes by you with that beautiful dress, and John is standing on the side, and Liana with that uh, beautiful red dress, I mean a uh, white dress, walks down the... The aisle. See, John will be uh, oh, overwhelmed with astonishment. So you can't be caught. The word here, the Greek word here, is ecstasis. Now, being aware of moments like this allows you to be sensitive to the presence of God. Because what we're talking about is, is being able to understand the presence of God on how it reveals itself, how it shows itself in areas of ministering to others. You know, uh, for instance, uh, I had a little moment in, uh, in Brazil, and uh, we went into this church called uh, Paraíba do Sul, Pastor Gilmar, a, a Methodist church, packed. I mean, at least uh, five, six hundred people there. And uh, suddenly, I... Uh, after the service was over, <clears throat> I'm trying to find my uh, my bag with all my things in there, you know, you know, and and uh, and so I can just hit toward the door, go downstairs to eat something. <laughs> and a little girl pulled my leg, pulled my my dress, you know. I look up and there's a little girl. And so I got down my knees, and she gave me a hug. Okay, but she stayed a little longer than normal. She wouldn't get out. And I got caught in it. I said, oh, my goodness. Oh, my and, and that moment was a moment where I was out of everything. I didn't think about the food. I didn't think about the pizza that was waiting for me because the pastor bought pizza. Okay. The bus was late for two hours. And, I, and, and we uh, then sat there for two hours waiting on the bus company to, to come in to pick us up. And so... And so, but at that moment, I was caught up away from pizza. 
away from everything else that was happening in that environment. That little girl just got to me. So in spiritual life, being aware of the presence of God, this is an exercise, and I've been talking to you about these things for the whole month of, of, June, of, of June, 15th of May, all the way to, uh, to today, especially 10, year, 10 days left, 10 days from June that I went to Brazil. But all these mornings, and I'll be here this whole week, what I'm trying to tell you is that in order for you to be sensitive to the presence of God, you have to practice sensitivity. Because we're not aware of it. We're involved in all kinds of things. So these parents were astonished with greater astonishment. Is that your translation? That's what it says. Read, read it again. I want them to hear this. Uh, they were astonished with greater astonishment. Okay. And straightway the girl arose and walked, for she was of the age of 12 years, and they were astonished with great astonishment. <laughs> so here's a, a King James translation. Uh, anybody has another translation, Betty, right there? 542. Oh, mine says, immediately the girl rose, began to walk, for she was 12 years old, and immediately they were completely astounded. Astounded. Completely astounded. Just shocked, caught in the spirit, caught in the moment. Being a, and so, now, I want to begin now for the next 25 minutes, a look at an Old Testament scripture that I'm sure is going to cause you to be astonishment, with greater astonishment. It's going, to, it's going to rattle you. You know, there's a commercial on Toyota Company, North Atlanta, in Cummins. And there's a blonde lady who comes in. I'm going to, we're going to rattle you, you know. And, uh, and she's trying to sell a car. But well, this, this will rally you to no end. And uh, it's found in Ezekiel chapter 8. Ooh, ooh, ooh. I'm sorry. Ezekiel chapter 8. And we'll stay on it until we finish it uh, in 25 minutes. And so I want to ask somebody to begin to read uh, 8 1. Ezekiel 8 1. And this has to do. With a vision, the second vision of Ezekiel. We're dealing with visions and dreams. And so this is an Old Testament prophet that had a vision. <clears throat> but what the vision shows is really, really uh, 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 overwhelming. And it's a series of visions that, and by the way, he's, uh, he's, in, 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 he's, in, uh, he's in Babylon. Uh, Israel is in captivity. Amen? About around 594 before Christ. And, uh, and uh, it would take place in the sixth year. Referring to his sixth year in captivity. So he was there for six years. After six years in captivity, 
prophet Ezekiel, God gave him these visions. Uh, uh, which is five years before the destruction of Jerusalem. Five years before the destruction of Jerusalem. So let's take a look. Uh, uh, who's going to read that? Go ahead. And it came about in the sixth year, on the fifth day of the sixth month, as I was sitting in my house with the elders of Judah sitting before me, that the hand of the Lord God fell on me there. Okay, now, let's begin. So this is a vision that happens as the elders of Israel. Who are the elders? Uh, they, are <clears throat> they are people uh, of great renown. You know, uh, Jezaniah <clears throat> and many others, the elders, the people that were part of the spiritual group that looked after those in captivity, over 200,000 people in captivity, in tents around the river Shabar from the left and right. They lived, they worked, they were slaves to uh, 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 to whom, Betty? Huh? Nebuchadnezzar. The Babylonian Empire. That's yeah, right. Nebuchadnezzar. Yeah, Nebuchadnezzar. So let's take a look at this. Now he is in. He is in his house, and he is sitting with the elders of Judah before him, and the hand of the Lord fell upon there, upon me. So, this is where the vision begins, but it simply says he's in his house, and in front of him there are 70 people sitting down, and they're talking. And the vision comes. Verse 2, then. Then I looked, and behold, a likeness as the appearance of a man. From his loins and downward there was the appearance of fire, and from his loins and upward, the appearance of brightness, like the appearance of glowing metal. So he had a likeness of a man show up in the fire all around it, okay? And he, and he was the God of Israel that accompanied the people of God. So he saw God in his glory, and it was who spoke in vision to the prophet. So he saw the appearance of fire from from the loins, meaning middle, the middle part of the man, fire coming out of there, and God sitting in the midst of a man in the midst of the fire, speaking, which really is something. Verse three, Betty. And he stretched out the form of a hand and caught me by a lock of my head, and the spirit lifted lifted me up between earth and heaven. And brought me in the visions of God okay. to Jerusalem. Yes. To the entrance of the north gate of the inner court, where the seat of the idol of jealousy, which provokes to jealousy, was located. Now, I want to call your attention to the location. Because this is a vision to a prophet, and it's going to say something. So, uh, uh, why am I covering this scripture this morning? Because a vision can be used by God to reveal to you. What's in front of you? What you need to respond to in making a statement about the condition of the nation of Israel, the condition of the church today, 
the condition of your church today, the condition of your, 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 your environment where you are uh, serving God, that, that is the purpose of a vision, is to reveal to you God's idea of what he feels about what's in front of you. So here's, here's Ezekiel having an afternoon tea, sitting down with 70 people, the elders of Israel, and the hand of God falls upon them. It wasn't in his private room. It was, it was in the presence of 70 people. So the dream, the vision has to do with the 70. All right. Am I communicating? Now, second, he leaped me up between the earth and heaven and brought me in the visions of God to Jerusalem. Why would God put a hand out there and by the lock of his hair pull him out? It says the lock, the lock of my head. That's hair. Meaning that, meaning that Ezekiel had a lot of hair. He wasn't bald. Is that good information? Yes. We learn by small details on how God does things. So he picked up the hair and pulled him out, out of there between heaven and earth, and, and brought me in visions of God to Jerusalem. Now, listen, he is 400 miles away in, in, in Babylon, in, uh, close to River Shabar, which is a, a derivative of the Euphrates River, way down there, Iraq. By the hair in his hand, take him all the way to Jerusalem. Now, is that, uh, is that uh, says something? It says that God is in a hurry to get the prophet to realize he wants to say something. And, and, the, and, the, and the way he transported Ezekiel from Babylon to the other side implies, I'm not happy. I'm not happy. I'm not happy. Now, why am I saying this? Because when I share with you what God was showing Ezekiel, you will realize that he is not happy. All right? Now, first, when he got to Jerusalem, the thing to remember is the door of the inner gate that looks toward the north. The door of the inner gate that looks to the north. Now, what do you mean the door of the inner gate? Well, when you look at the, at, the, at, the, at the temple, the main front door, the two main front doors of the whole temple face east. That's a rule of law and order when you talk to the northeast, south, and west, North. South, east, and west. So the door of the, of the, the main doors are facing east. The, the door of the temple facing east lines up with the entrance of the, the 42 acres. And there's a door there that is locked and closed in Jerusalem. Always been, been closed. What is the name of that door? What is the door of the east so-called? In, in the Bible. The eastern gate or the golden gate. Meaning that as long as Israel of Jerusalem had a, a 
wall around it. That was called the eastern gate. There's not a, everybody that ever built any wall in Jerusalem. The eastern gate has been always east. On the other side of the east, what is up front? What is on, and if you stand in front of the sanctuary and you look up, what do you see in front of you? Yeah, what do you see? What do you see up there? Olive trees. Mount of Olives. So I want you to keep that in your mind because it is important as to what God is trying to say. The location is important. In the, in the, in the, in the Mount of Olives, you have what? Yeah, what happened in the Mount of Olives? The Garden of Gethsemane on the right. On the left, the Church of Ascension, where Jesus went up into heaven. Ascended from heaven. From yes. Yeah. And, then, and then you have also what? On the top, you have Bethany on the other Bethany, side. Bethany, where he rode in to Jerusalem. So why is God reveals location? Why location is so important? It's because he built the sanctuary in detail. When Moses was on the Mount Sinai, God gave him the tabernacle of the wilderness in detail. So he's talking about location, detail, specificity, because that's the way God is. He organizes He what is holy to God, might not be holy to you, but to him north is north, south is south, east to east, and west and west. There's no variation and no confusion. Now, what is the end of verse 3, Betty? It says, uh, John, look at that for me. Verse 3, chapter 8 of Ezekiel. Tell me. The end of it. Where was the seat of the image of jealousy which provokes to jealousy? Yes. All right. Brought, brought me in the visions of God to Jerusalem to the door of the inner gate that looks toward the north. Where was the seat of the image of jealousy? Now, the door, the, the door. east door faces and west is back. Mm-hmm. North is here. South is here. South goes toward the city of David. About the inner court, right? Yes. Not, not the whole temple. So he is dealing with the on the right side, on on the on the north side of the temple of the temple, and then the inner which, court which, of the temple. Which now, what sits in the north side of the temple? There's some light in it. There's twelve arms, the menorah. Okay. Okay. Now. All outside there is a altar. It's a large altar, holy of holies. The uh, uh, no, no. What's in the holy of holies? The ark of the covenant. What's in the holy place? Altar of incense, menorah, the showbread. And then it closes. And then outside, what is the next thing you see? Face in the Mount of Olives. 
the brazen altar. Now the brazen altar is about the size of this room, twice as big, with booths made out of bronze, holding a pot in which the servants of God would clean the animals and put on the altar to, to burn the sacrifice. Israel used the brazen altar as a, as a way to please God. It is, the, it is the blood of Christ who cleanses from all unrighteousness. Those days was the blood of booze and ashes and of heifers that to please God. All right? But what God is revealing to them is that on the, on, on, that looks toward the north, the inner gate that looks toward the north, where was the seed of the image of jealousy? Now, what is the seed of the image of jealousy that looks toward the north? So the, there was a, what is verse? Uh, yes. Now, the image of jealousy here, I'm trying to get the location. If he's in the north, it means the menorah is here. Outside is the brazen altar. Right here. On the left of it is an object. It's an idol. The idol was upon a pedestal as tall as the brazen altar. Wounding with jealousy the love that shone forth in the glory of God. Provokes, the phrase provokes to jealousy refers to Exodus 34, 12 to 14. Meaning that the object that is there is provoking jealousy. It's, 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 it's trying to say that I'm as important as the brazen altar. Yes. Exodus thirty four twelve. Watch yourself that you make no covenant with the inhabitants of the land into which you are going, lest it become a snare in your midst, but rather you are to tear down their altars and smash their sacred pillars and cut down their asherim. Yes. For you shall not worship any other God, for the Lord whose name is jealous is a yes. jealous God. Yes. God is a jealous God. And the vision is simply showing Ezekiel that in that specific location on the other side, outside of the Holy Hole of Holies, uh, in the same direction toward, from the menorah that's sitting here, and of course the showbread here, the, the altar of incense here, outside is the brazen altar. On the left of the brazen altar, on a pedestal, is an asteroid. It's a false god. A female deity. A female deity. And what, I, what I'm saying to you is that verse 4 says, And behold, the glory of God of Israel was there. Why did the glory of Israel was there for the prophet to see? Is that the people of God is, pre, is, re, is deciding and choosing, choosing the Ashtoreth to replace the glory. The people of God in Israel decided to replace the glory of God. Look at verse 4. And behold, the glory of God of Israel was there. Meaning, during the vision, he saw the temple facing east. He saw 
the Holy of Holies and all the, 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 the three areas, menorah, altar of incense, showbread. Outside, he showed the brazen altar. On the left of it, a tall stand of another God. And then the Lord says, in the, in, and he said unto me in this vision, Lift up your eyes now the way toward the north. Looking toward the north means look at, the, at that asteroid. So I lift my eyes toward the north, and behold, the north ward at the gate of the altar, this image of jealousy in the entry. Some of the leaders of Israel had placed at the gate of the altar. This was the brazen altar where the temple sacrifices were supposed to be offered for the sins of people to find the Calvary. How many idols presently have we added to the cross? You know, one guy said to me, Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That can be an altar. That can be that can be uh, 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 that can be an idol, because in other words, don't bring anything else. Don't bring any growth. Don't bring any Holy Spirit movement. Don't bring any empower of the Holy Spirit uh, into your life. It, it's the cross and cream crucified. Meaning, you 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 simply make an idol of something that is to set people free. I don't know if you got that. But when you are experiencing the glory of God, okay, people would say, forget about that. I only go Jesus and Him crucified. You begin to close holiness, righteousness, sanctity of life, empower the Holy Spirit. I don't want to experience that. I have the cross and that's it. I don't want it anymore. Listen, folks, you won't be able to carry the cross without the power of the Holy Spirit. You won't be able to live the Christian life without the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. And, and what I'm saying to you is that an idol is anything that rises above the knowledge of God. So, he said furthermore unto me, Son of man, do you see what they do? Even the great abominations that the house of Israel commits here, that I should go far off from my sanctuary, uh, that I should go far off from my sanctuary. It means that God says, I have to leave my sanctuary. Because of the idols that you have put before me, I'm leaving you. I'm not going to partake of your offerings anymore. And what you have is an empty temple. So you're saying, this was when you were talking about earlier about the, um, it sounds like to me that's an excuse that they were using to not be involved with the Holy Spirit at all. That's right. Just yes. In other words, in other words, here's another thing you can do about uh, about uh, worship this idol and forget about everything else. Now you can't do anything else without the cross, because as Jesus died on the cross, it's for our sins. Without it, we're lost. We need the cross. Amen? But the empowerment of the Holy Spirit of God, it is a sanctification process that has to be implemented in the life of the Christian for him to come to the point of going to the narrow gate in eternity. 
flesh will not inherit the kingdom of God. What do you mean? Flesh will not inherit the kingdom of God. And so, God, and he brought me to the door of the court. And I looked, behold, a hole in the wall. There's a hole in the wall. He brought me inside and looked at the hole in the wall. The door is whatever capacity in the temple spoke of Jesus. This door seems to be boarded up with a wall. And he said unto me, Son of man, dig now in the wall. And when I digged in the wall, behold, a door. And he said unto me, Go and, and, and behold the wicked abomination that they do here. Meaning the wicked abomination were being conducted and carried out in the very temple of God, which was his his residing place. Read uh, 1 Corinthians 3.16. 3.16. I'm about to close in two minutes. But I want you to yeah. know that the, 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 the vision now is inside of the temple. And he saw a wall, which is the wall that separates the Holy of Holies from the brazen altar. He saw a wall. It wasn't a tent. It was a wall. Okay. And then what? Make a hole in the wall. I want you to see outside. I want you to see what's in there. On the north side. Close to the brazen altar. Read, 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 read 1 Corinthians 3.16. Know you not that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? Yes. In other words, the, know you not that you are the temple of God. The Spirit of God resides in you. Meaning that there can be no idol there. So I went and saw. And behold, he looked at the hole. Every form of creeping things and abominable beasts and all the idols of the house of Israel portrayed upon the wall around about. So what happened was the, the king was Hezekiah. And he had a deal with Egypt. Try to get gold from them and try to get trademarks and try to get uh, 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 all kinds of... Uh, a trade going on with them, just like we do with China. And we're doing with China today, and China is ripping off the United States in all kinds of ways. But because we love the Chinese, we allow that their idols be translated into our own country. And America is filled with idols that came out of China. Everything that China does spiritually is death realm. And we are pleasing those idols, even though they're not fair in their trading practices. The same thing with Hezekiah. He wanted to make sure he'll get friends with, with, with Egypt and, uh, and, and, and be able to do something with Pharaoh. So to impress the Egyptians, he had allowed their worship to be brought into the temple, which is described by the Holy Spirit, and creeple things and abominable beasts. In order for the church to please the homosexual community, we allow them to bring their gods into the holy place in order that the holy place not be holy anymore. That's what is happening here. In other words, the church has decided that people do not have to have the brazen altar anymore. In other words, we don't need to ask God forgiveness for our sins because we're born that way. Homosexuality is a choice. Never been proven otherwise. A choice. 
But because we want to please their gods, we simply decided they can bring their sins and their idols into the holy place. Because we don't need the brazen altar anymore. The bra- we don't need the cross anymore. We don't need Calvary anymore. We don't need Jesus crucified and resurrected anymore. You know, uh, in other words, you can come with your sin and you, it's okay. Sin and God is not okay. Never been, never will. So what's going to happen to the temple of God, the church, is going to die. I'm predicting you that the United Methodist Church is no longer a church anymore. It will die. The people stop giving. And the church will go to nothing. And the people have got to be left without any shepherd. And you're going to see empties and voids and empty pews. And, and it's already in place in many places. And there stood before me 70 men of the ancient of the house of Israel. In the midst of them stood Jezaniah, the son of Shaphan, with every man his censer in his hand. And a thick cloud of incense went up. In this chamber of idolatry, Egyptian idolatry, in the very temple itself, stood all the 70 members of the Hebrew synod worshiping the loathsome reptiles portrayed in the walls. This is what happened at the general conference of the Methodist church. There are 450 people who want to worship creeping things coming in. What is the problem with creeping things? You can sin all you want to. You don't have to be com- confess your sins anymore because the brazen altar is no, va- no value to it anymore. Okay. It's said that Shaphan and Hezaniah were part of those 70 ones because if you go to your Bible in 2 Kings chapter 22, they were the family. And rebuild the temple during Josiah's reign. And he portrays, in other words, the vision shows a family that in second first king second kings chapter twenty two build rebuild the temple. I'm talking about Solomon's temple. They do some repairs. In the vision he saw the seventy and how they were going. And that is why they were in captivity. Now, is the, is the church in captivity? It is going to be in captivity. I prophesy to you that the church will enter a period of tremendous, tremendous captivity. There will be a short of money. There will be pastors committing suicide. There will be people that will not come to church anymore. The pews were empty more than never before. Never before. Listen, there's nothing wrong with homosexuality. It's a sin like my sin. But I have to confess my sin before God. Don't you come tell me that you can do that and not confess your sin. That is an abomination. That's a creeping thing. See you tomorrow.